This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Uh, Romans 3, starting in verse number 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Thank you. Well, it's good to be back with you after two weeks of uh, vacation. And uh, we had a staycation where we just kind of hung out, took one day, went to Frankenmuth, which is like, if Christmas puked over a town, you would get <laughs> Frankenmuth. But it was actually really wonderful. Cordy loves that, and we enjoyed that. But one thing I got a chance to do on my vacation is do a lot of game playing. I love my games and I had a chance to play games. So I want to talk this morning a little bit about game strategy. You ever play chess? And maybe have, it's just a good example of thinking about game strategy and kind of how it all works. But it's really important to understand that to get a good good strategy, you have to have some knowledge first. Understanding leads to better strategy, or to say a different way, uh, the more you know, the better you can fight. And, and with chess, you know, you have to know what the pieces are and how they move, yes. You also have to know how they work together, and, and also like how the first pieces I move called the opening that's going to impact the kind of game that we're going to play. So it's really important to have a good understanding of the game. It's also really good to have a good understanding of your opponent. If I know my opponent and I know his weaknesses and his strengths, that's going to help me fight better because I can try to steer the game toward his weaknesses and away from his strengths. So all in all to say, more understanding gets better strategy or the more we know, the better we can fight. Okay, why am I saying all of that? Because we've been talking a lot about our sinfulness and our depravity. We've been in this uh, uh, book of Romans now. and Even before that, we were in the book of Genesis where the focus was really, men, aren't we sinners? And, and I hope that you've come to the place to say, I am really sick of my sin. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm really sick of my sin. And if you're married, tell them, I'm really sick of your sin too. No, don't do that. Uh, but we're really sick. I hope you are. And I hope that you want to like 
fight your sin better. And, and what I want to do in the text that we have before us is I want to help you understand a few key things that will help you fight your sin. So here's the big idea of the morning. Understanding my sin will help me... Uh, fight my sin. Understanding my sin will help me fight my sin. Now, I want to show you what Paul is doing in this text. I want you to see it very clearly. So we have to actually jump all the way back to Romans chapter 1, because what Paul is doing in Romans chapter 1 is he made a statement, and then he's spending three, a little bit of four chapters unpacking why that statement is true. This is what's hard about preaching Paul, is that he makes long arguments. And so we preach you know, these, these sermons every week, and we're really just unpacking another portion of that long argument. But here's what Paul says, so important to understand our text today. He says this, "'For I am not ashamed of the gospel.'" For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he makes that statement. So now he's going to like show you why that's so important. And so in chapter 1, verse 18, he starts talking about the pagan Gentile and why they are unrighteous and therefore need the gospel. Then in chapter 2, he starts talking about the moral Gentile and why the moral Gentile is really depraved and needs salvation through Christ. Then he goes into the Jews and talking about the Jews who have the law but don't really obey the law. And they too need the gospel. He's been talking about this now for weeks until we get to our concluding argument. And what he's going to do now is, is bring this down home. And he's going to say, here's the end of it all. And really, it's found in verse number 19. Look at verse number 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Here it is. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Everyone is accountable to God. Now, what he does as he concludes this argument is he actually uses his strongest argument last. He's argued from reason. He's argued from logic. But what he does in our text is he argues from Scripture. Verse number 10, as it is written. And then he goes and he quotes several Psalms and a little bit of Isaiah but through this, he's teaching a point. Now, I think we can learn from this. And I think we can read this instruction about our sin, and it can give us some clues and some help to fight our sin. Because the whole purpose of preaching is to change you and to change the way you live. So I'm going to be asking yourself, how can we live this? How will the truth of God's word impact the manner of my life this week. And I want to pray to that end. So let's pray together. God, I um, just want to pause for a minute here and acknowledge this is a, a holy moment. I'm standing up today, Father, to give the sense and to say, this is what this means for you. And it's a fearful thing, Lord. In a minute, I'm going to read from James chapter 3, where it says that I'm going to be judged with stricter judgment. And that's a fearful thing. But God, I, I, I've studied your word. I, I, I believe this is the message you want for our people today. So Lord, 
believing in you and trusting in you, not in my own abilities, I'm gonna just say, Lord, use this for your glory. Lord, some, some folks here in the room, they're losing the battle with their own sin. And maybe some of these truths today, some of these new perspectives from your word can help them to fight more effectively. And so God, we pray, sink it into our hearts, into our minds, change our hands, do it all for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Three different aspects here to understand, three kind of principles to understand as we fight sin. Here's number one, write this down. Uh, The root of my sin. In order to fight sin better, you need to understand the root of my sin. So here is Paul, and he just shows off how much he knows the word of God here, because he just lists here, strings together, verse after verse after verse. Psalm here, a psalm there, a little bit of Isaiah, and he just strings this. Remember, he was a Pharisee, so he knew the word of God. But what's interesting is in Paul's thinking in his argument, he bookends these quotes, focusing our attention in one direction. Look at this, uh, uh, verse number 11. No one understands, understands what? No one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So Paul starts with God. No one seeks God. Then he ends with God. Take a look at verse number 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so Paul, yes, he's going to address our actions and what we do, but he does that book ending them in a focus on God. This is really about God. This is really about your relationship with God. And I want you to know this morning You have a holy and loving and good God. And when we sin, we offend that God. Why is sin so bad? Sin is so bad because it offends a holy and righteous but loving God. So I want to remind you of something very, very important this morning. And this is what God has always wanted. Do you know this? God has always wanted a love relationship with his people. From the very beginning of creation, he leaves heaven to come down to earth to walk and talk with Adam and Eve. Why would he do that? Because he wants a love relationship with his people. And I'll go as far as to say the whole point of the law was to drive people back to a relationship with him. The whole point of the law was to show you, you read in the text, we didn't know sin until the law revealed our sin. The law shows us how sinful we are. Is stealing okay? Is it okay to steal? How do you know it's not okay? Because the law is killing someone okay. Please say no. (laughs) Security. Um, But why is, we, we know it's wrong because of the the law show, and we realize our sinfulness, so where do you go with our sin? The whole point was to run back 
to Jesus. That was the whole point. The point of the law was to bring us back to God, to that love relationship with him. Now, I can say that with that amount of authority and firmness because Jesus said that. Do you remember the story when Jesus is being questioned by the Pharisees? It's from Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. He says this, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, he didn't have to answer. He's God, but he did. And he said to them, everyone read this with me, if you would, please. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. I'll take it from here. This is the uh, great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Do you see it? The whole point of the law, the whole point of the law, love God, love God. And this is what makes sin so wretched. Because in order to sin, do you know, you have to turn aside from God. Look at the text, it's what it says. This is again, Romans chapter three, verse number 12. All have turned aside. You have a God who wants to love you and who wants to walk with you and to enjoy you and for you to enjoy God. You ever think about that concept, enjoying God? Can we enjoy God? Oh, he wants you to enjoy him. But we say, you know what, God? Nah. I'd rather do it my way. I'd rather find my satisfaction in my entertainment system. I'd rather find my satisfaction in this relationship or in this substance. I'd rather find my satisfaction somewhere else because I don't really believe, God, that you have my good in your heart. I don't really believe, God, that you have my best in mind. So I want to do it my way, and I'm going to turn aside from God. That's what makes sin so wretched. It is a personal thing with our God. And even our relational sins, our horizontal sins, do you know this? There is no horizontal sin that's purely horizontal. All of our horizontal sins are first and primarily vertical issues, and it's all about our relationship with God. I'm telling you this because you know how we have this tendency to make everything about us. We have this tendency to be so man-centered in our thinking. And listen, do you know, you can fight your sin for very self-centered reasons. I want to fight my sin because I hate feeling guilty all the time. So I want to do better so I can just not feel so guilty. Or I want to fight my sin because I'm better than this. I am better than this. And I want to prove that I am better than this. What you have to understand is, as John Piper said, sin is first and foremost a resistance to finding joy in God. I love that wording. It's a resistance to finding our joy in God. I want you to love him, church. And if you're really going to fight sin, you have to, have to start with that understanding. 
My sin is a relational problem. More than anything else for you, man, I want you to, to wake up tomorrow morning and to feel like, I just need to get with Jesus. He, he wants to talk with me. He wants to be with me. I just want to get with him. So yeah, let me get my jammies on. Let me get to my, I don't know what you do at your study, your kitchen table, whatever it is. I want to get the word open. I want to pour my heart out to God in prayer. I want to read his word. I want to hear from him. Come on, give me more Jesus. I want you to be driving down the road and I want you to see just like a, a freshly harvested field and to watch the sunbeams come down out of the clouds and to see that and say, God, that is so beautiful. Thank you for giving me that scene today. I needed to see your glory and it's there for me and it's a love relationship. I want you to feel moments of worry and fear, and then you just take them right to Jesus. God, you have this. You love me. You're in control, and I give this to you, man. I want you to love the Lord, because if you're really going to fight your sin, man, the more we walk in a love relationship with God, the less attractive sin is. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like this. Um, I'm trying to think of a really nice restaurant here in town. I don't know. Give me a restaurant that you think is really nice. It's kind of like, I love, yeah, this is one we can afford. Um, <laughs> no, so that's, that's the opposite. In fact, here's, here's the whole point. It's like coming out of Nawas, you know, that it's, it's a good Asian restaurant, and I love that Asian fusion food. So anyway, it's like coming out of there full and then seeing McDonald's and being like, ugh, McDonald's. Would I rather have delicious sushi or a Big Mac? And we all say sushi. Can I get a witness, everybody? All right. But dude, if you fill your heart up with Jesus, sin just looks so less attractive. So how do I fight sin? First of all, understand the root of your sin. It's a relational thing. But Paul goes on from there and he describes our sin in certain ways. And what you see, starting in verse number 13 now, is Paul talking about the horizontal. So really verse 11 and 12 is that vertical element of our sin and it starts there, but you need to understand it does have horizontal impacts. There is an impact to your sin that is an issue and that's where Paul begins to unpack in uh, verse number 13. So write this down, understand first of all the root of my sin, but also we need to understand the results of my sin. I need to understand the results of my sin. And it gets real uh, scary here as you look at this. In fact, let's take a look at verse number 13. Now I'm going to read um, really all the way down to verse number 17. And, and I want you to see as I read, I want you to, to catch the theme here. So yeah, Paul's talking about our sin, but look also what just permeates this text. It's really interesting. He says, their throat is an open, what? Grave. Hmm. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lisp, uh, uh, lisp. <laughs> lips. Oh boy, you preach for a living. Uh, you try it out. But what, what does, church, what does venom do? It kills. It kills. Their mouth is full of so, uh, curses and bitterness. Check this out. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. By the way, the opposite of peace is war. 
there is no fear of God before their eyes. So you have, yeah, talking about sin, but it's also talking a lot about death. Sin and death go hand in hand. Now you can break that portion up into two. So you have the vertical, you have the horizontal. You can break the horizontal up into sins of my words and sins of my hands, or put this way, we sin with our words. Let's talk about this for a little bit this morning. We're actually gonna focus mostly on this. We sin with our words. Now this is all coming from verses 13 and 14. So let's focus on this. Uh, the throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. Wow. He's talking about depraved men, sinful men. And he's saying, throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of bitterness. Do you know how dangerous words can be? Now, words, yes, spoken, words typed or typed. And what Paul does is he first reveals, where do those sinful words come from? Here's how he does it. Do you see the progression? Look at the words, throat, and then tongue, and then lips, and then mouth. It starts in the throat, and it comes out through the tongue, and then over the lips, and then out of our mouths into the ears of people in order to kill them. Throat tongue, lips out the mouth. I'll put it this way. It starts deep within us, and then it becomes words that we use to hurt and to maim and to kill others. But it starts in us. It starts deep in us. And Jesus taught this very principle. Luke chapter 6 the good person out of the good treasure of his church. I'll try it again. The good person out of the good treasure of his produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Read this last part with me if you would. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It is deep within us and it comes out our tongues and through our lips and out to the ears. But, but there's a heart issue that drives it. My sin comes from the heart. Everyone say that with me. My sin comes from the heart. It's a heart issue that drives it. Why did you say that? Well, because I was tired. Why did you say that? Well, because you said what you said, and that made me really mad, so I said what I said. It's your fault I said what I said. <laughs> no, you may have been tired. You may have been angry. But you said that because it was in your church heart. In fact, James says this, and this is really important to understand, tying it all together here, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. Now watch, 
and sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. I want you to see this in another passage of scripture. I want you to turn to James chapter three, if you would please, James chapter three. James chapter three is one of the most thorough passages addressing the issue of the tongue. And we could go to a lot of places, talk about words and their danger, but a few are as succinct and as clear as James chapter three. So here's James chapter three, and starting in verse number one, take a look at this with me if you would. Uh, here's my admonition that uh, keeps me up at night. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with, stricter, with greater strictness. Ouch. Pray for us. Verse number two. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, of sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Sounds familiar. Verse number nine, with it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth or fingers or thumbs come blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Wow. Words are powerful and words can kill. When I was in high school, I uh, was really involved in theater and my senior year, I ended up uh, playing John Proctor in the play, The Crucible. Uh, the Crucible is all about the Salem witch trials. Now, The Crucible is a fictional story, but it's based on a historical event. And just in the course of several months, what happens is in Salem, Massachusetts, there are 200 people accused of witchcraft. Really happened. Of those 200 people, 19 were hanged and killed as witches. Now, did Salem, Massachusetts really have this outbreak of witches and witchcrafts? History says probably not. But they were accused. Someone said it, and the words were out, and those words went and brought great damage. Listen, great damage can be done with our words, and people are dead because of words. It might be spoken, or it might be typed. <laughs> you know, God never intended our words 
to do that. God never intended our words to kill. In fact, take a look at this. This is Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 11. He says this, the mouth of the righteous is a what church? Come on, let's read this whole first phrase with me. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. That's God's intention, man. For us to use our words to breathe life, to speak life, to encourage one another. Uh, Ephesians 4.32. Man, I want to be that kind of guy. I want to be the kind of guy that walks into the room and says, Oh, Jamie is here. Yes. He speaks encouragement. He speaks life. He speaks the gospel. Let's hear him. That's the kind of thing I want said of me, not, oh boy, here comes Mr. Busybody. Here comes Mr. Gossip, Mr. Slander. I don't have a good word to say about anybody. I hope you're getting it because it's so, it's so easy. It's so easy just to say something. That's the whole point of James chapter three. It's so easy just to post something. Type it up and hit send, and there you go. And you feel like your thing is out in the world. And it's so easy to do those things, but you need to understand the danger of those words. I would encourage you, if you ever have a firearm in your house, you need to have some firearm safety. That's really important. Um, I don't know why I picked this picture. He looks really, really happy to be shooting that gun. <laughs> a little devious. But... Um, in the army, before we ever picked up an M16, we had weeks of training on the M16, where we held rubber versions of the M16 to learn where to point it, where not to point it. You know, you're all dead. <laughs> Don't do that with a real M16. It's not a toy to play with. And our tongues are not toys. And we got to be very, very careful. So to help you with this, uh, here are 10 questions to ask before telling a tale or posting a post. Here are 10 questions to ask before you say something or post something. I'll just go through these quickly. First of all, ask yourself, is my saying this necessary? Do I need to say this? Is it adding any value to what we're talking about right now? Secondly, is it true? Now, by the way, that's not the only question on the list, right? Oh, it's true. It might be true, but it's not necessary or kind or loving or helpful. But be sure it's true. Be sure the information you have is accurate. Am I sharing this to hurt somebody? That's the whole definition of slander. I'm saying something just or typing something just for the intention of hurting. Would I say it to their face? Interesting question. Is it respectful? Does it consider their privacy and their feelings? What are my motives? What am I trying to accomplish by sharing this? Does it add any real value to the conversation? Good question here. Am I being empathetic? I'm finding that the older I get, the more empathy I have. Now, I used to be really judgmental of people who struggled with anxiety. Come on, God's good and he's sovereign. Get over it. I can tell you now, I have a lot more empathy with people who struggle with anxiety and fear and worry. I, I have a greater understanding for people who want to arrange their life, you know, OCD people who want to arrange their lives in a certain way. They want a little bit of measure of control. No, that's not why I play with miniatures. Don't ask me that question. That's nothing to do with that at all. They do what I tell them to do, okay? Um, number nine. <laughs> I love this question. Is it my story to tell? 
Hmm. Or number 10, good question. Could this be misinterpreted? Now, Adam did a great job of preaching last week, um, and Adam uh, mentioned, reminded us of conflict resolution. So let's just get a quick reminder. Uh, remember this, if someone sins against you, what do you do? You go to, you go to them. Say, go to them. Okay, if you discover that someone has sinned against you or that you've sinned against someone and you're going to lay your offer on the, on the, the altar and, and you remember, oh, I've sinned against somebody, what do you do? You, you go to them. So, okay, someone sins against me, I, say it again, someone sins I, I realize I sinned against somebody. I okay. Is that clear from God's word? Great. Let's be careful about our words. Also, this write this down. We sin with our actions. We sin with our words. We sin with our actions, which is really where Paul is going next in verses fifteen through seventeen, uh, where he says this in the text: Their feet are swift. To shed blood in their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So yeah, there's words, but also there's feet, there's hands. And again, we see the link back to death. Their feet are swift to shed blood, grave, poison, death. Yeah, that's the result of sin. Sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And you would say, well, I would never kill anybody. I would never kill anybody. And maybe that's true here in the room, but how about mankind as a whole? How about society as a whole? Why are there not more deaths and murder? I think the reason why is probably because of police and prisons and the electric chair. Because once you pull the rule of law away, what happens to a society? Just ask those uh, towns who decided to defund the police and how well that went for them. Or uh, here's another story from literature. Take the story of the Lord of the Flies. You familiar with the story? It's about these pre-adolescent boys and, and uh, they um, are British. They are escaping. They're evacuating uh, London and they end up uh, crashing on a uh, deserted island and every, all the adults die and it's just this group of pre-adolescent boys to rule this island. And what happens very quickly is they begin to worship this thing called the beast that's on the island because they're afraid of it. They begin to fight in war and, and two tribes get formed, and then they end up killing each other, and there's death that happens, and, and, and you look at that and you say, I can see that, especially with junior high boys. And Jesus said, to look at your brother with hatred is the same as murder. Look, we need to fight our sin because the results of sin is death. The result of sin is death. Our words can kill. Our actions can kill. That should give us real pause, hopefully, about what we say and how we handle sin. Now, we've been months at this because even before we were in Romans, we were in Genesis. And in Genesis, we were talking all about our depravity 
and you know, the flood and all of that. Then we're here in Romans. We've been weeks and weeks and weeks just talking about depravity and all of that. And it all gets to, as I pointed out earlier, verse number 19. Let's look at it together. For we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Here it is. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The whole point of the law is to say, hey, you're a sinner. So now what do we do? I'm not righteous. Can you say that with me? Say, I'm not righteous. So now what do I do? Well, praise God, that's not the end of the story. Guys, take a look at verse number 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God from faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Oh, here's the good news. There is a righteousness available to us. And it's not dependent upon me trying to keep the law. It's not dependent upon my works. No, no, no. It's just dependent upon believing what Jesus has done. Have you felt the weight of your depravity over these last few weeks? Where do you take that? I want to show you, yeah, the root of my sin and the results of my sin, but such good news. There's a remedy for my sin, church. There's a remedy for my sin. And that remedy is Jesus. We can't keep the law. Do you hear me on this? It's never been about you keeping the law. It's still not about you keeping the law, whatever law you built for yourself. All the law does is show you, you fail. But good news, Jesus didn't fail. He lived the perfect life for you. Oh. Do you feel the weight of your lustful thoughts? Man, I hate that. I hate that my mind goes there. I hate thinking those things. It just, I, I, it's dark. It's, it's, I hate it. There's good news. Jesus never had a lustful thought, ever. Do you hate your own anger? I get angry about stuff and I just hate when I do that. I, I hate when I pout. Do you know adults pout? <laughs> And I hate when I get pouty. And I get pouty. I had to even tell Courtney yesterday, a few weeks ago, I forgot what it was. No, it was, like, it was a year ago. It was, well, it's been more than just a year ago. But I know for certain, uh, there was a, I had to go to a thing. I didn't want to go to it. So I was pouty all night about it. <laughs> and grumpy. And, hey, are you enjoying this? Yeah. Mm. We get pouty as adults. Why do we do that? Well, we, you know, we just, it's a hard. Jesus never got angry unrighteously. His anger was always a righteous anger. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better pastor. I want to be better at my relationships. Jesus was perfect in his relationships. 
and he did it for you. In fact, look at this. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Look at this. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the what? Righteousness of God. So when I put my faith, 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 and that alone, when I put my faith in the fact that Jesus died for me and rose again, the moment that I do that, I get his righteousness. Man, it's as if I lived a lust-free life. It's as if I lived an anger-free life. It's as if I have done every relationship right. Not because I have, but he did it in my place. And all of that becomes mine, not by living right, but by faith in that alone. Faith saves us. And it was true for me in November of 1987 when I accepted Christ as my Savior. And it was true for me yesterday when I needed his grace again. And I have his grace. And I am telling you straight up, man, nothing will help you fight your sin more than remembering the truths of the gospel and the grace of God. And if over these past few weeks you have felt the weight of your depravity, man, I want you to feel the joy of his forgiveness because it is his forgiveness and his patience and his grace that makes us want to live this life better. I know that because of Romans 2, 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing the kindness, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So here's what I want you to do. To live this moment, would you just take a minute right now and I want you to pray. And if you feel the weight of your depravity, I want you to take it to Jesus again. Now, you can't lose your salvation. If you've been saved, you're not getting saved again, but you're just remembering the truths of the gospel and his grace in a new way. So just take a moment right now and pray. What I want you to do is to just say, God, I want to lay my sin at the feet of the cross. Just take a moment and say that, God, I want to lay all of my sin, all of my depravity. God, I want to lay it at the feet of the cross. I want you to say in your heart, I believe Jesus died for this sin. I want you to say, I believe that he rose again. And then I want you to say, I believe I am forgiven. The power of living the Christian life does not come by believing you're worthy or good. That's what modern Christianity will tell you. The power for living the Christian life comes from realizing you're not good, but you're forgiven. So say it again, I am forgiven. 
Father, I pray that you would help us. Not deny our depravity or push it away. It's just true. It's just what your word has said so clearly. We've studied it for weeks now. But the whole point that Paul was trying to get to, Father, was that if we just believe faith, 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 faith saves us. And if we believe that Jesus died for us, we take our sin to him and we are forgiven. And that makes me want to love you more and, and be loved by you more and fills my heart with joy. And I pray, Father, that helps us live the Christian life better for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And before you go, I want to point you back to the beginning of the argument. This is Romans 1.16. Come on now. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, right? You're saved, you're forgiven because of the gospel. To everyone, to who, church? Everyone who believes, man, the Jew first and all. Of course, I'm not ashamed of this. Of course, I want my neighbor to know. Of course, I want my coworkers to know. You can be forgiven because of the gospel. And the more you live in the grace of God, the more you proclaim the grace of God and go and do that. You are loved. Thank you for coming.